Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can visit our website at reclaimchurchtx.com. That's good news because if he wasn't, then everything you need accomplished in your life would have to be done by your wisdom and your strength. And can I tell you this? We are not wise or strong enough. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So when people come to our church, I don't want to give them an empty message and a hyped up worship service. One day we'll have moving lights, so don't get offended when they come. But that's not the point. When people come to our church, my prayer is, God, would you be there? Because I know that if they came and only heard a sermon, nothing would ever change. I know if they came and only experienced religion, nothing would ever change in them. I know if they came and they just started to, to act different, to fit in, nothing would really change. But God, if they come and, and, and you're already here and they encounter you, if they really have a moment in your presence where they feel your love and, and your forgiveness and your mercy then I know that that actually changes people. When he comes, he does what we never could. We we are desperate for him. We're not begging, right? We're We're not like children that don't have a good dad or a good father. We're desperate for him. I just want to be with him. My own prayer life, I just want to be with the Lord. When I come here, I just want to encounter Him. And the way that I live my life, I want to please the Lord. And I don't want anything to stop me. See, in the story, we read that these men had to get through a crowd. They had to find a way to get past the boundaries that were hindering them from entering into His presence. So they pushed through the crowds. They made a hole in the ceiling probably without asking because they needed to be with Jesus. They needed to be with him. Now, yeah, that's, that's physical, and that's kind of like, yeah, they, they actually did those things, but my question to you today is what hinders you from his presence? I'm not talking about what hinders you from feeling goosebumps on Sunday. I'm saying what hinders you from entering into the presence of God every single day of your life? Every single day of your life. Some of my greatest encounters with the Lord were not in a church service and and was not backed up by a worship team. It was by myself in my little office, pacing back and forth, seeking God. Can I tell you that what you experience here, and those, you know those moments where you're just like, oh my gosh, I can feel him. I, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody know what I'm saying? If you've been here long enough, you know. That very same encounter can be your daily life. But we become so hindered every single day by life. So what hinders you 
from his presence. In Psalm 84, 1 and 2 says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Is this your prayer? Or is it, yeah, God, I'll come when I'm able to. God, I'll spend time in the word and in prayer when I have time. How often do you blame everybody else for your own lack of intimacy with the Lord? I can't, I can't, I can't because so-and-so hurt me and I can't get to church because the church hurt me and I can't, I can't get into his presence because so-and-so is distracting me and, and so-and-so needs my attention. And how often do we blame other people for our lack of prioritizing his presence? What hinders you from entering into his presence? Can I tell you that one of the biggest hindrances for a Christian to enter the presence of God is unforgiveness? Unforgiveness. You know you, know you have unforgiveness when you, when you won't speak to them or talk to them until they apologize. You know you have unforgiveness when you get irritated every time their name comes up. You know you harbor unforgiveness when you get into the presence of the Lord and you know, you know that you know that there's somebody in your life that you need to forgive and you wonder why you can't feel his presence. What does Jesus say? He says, if you don't forgive them, I will not, for, I'm not going to forgive you. I, I feel like we, we've, we've kind of like sugarcoated this whole thing like, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you could forgive eventually. Like, it's cool. Like, go ahead. You know, we know what Jesus said, but, you know, take your... No, 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 no. He makes it very clear. And most of the time, what hinders us from entering in the presence of God is our unforgiveness towards another person. So what hinders you from his presence every day? Is it the circumstances of your life? Does the circumstance of your life dictate the proximity of your relationship with the Lord? When things are really good, my relationship with God is really good. When things go really bad, I don't really spend much time with him until they get really bad and then I find him again. Anybody have that pattern? It's, it's very quiet this morning and I know that it's like preacher 101 not to point that out. Um, but I just, you know, I just, I just want to be honest with you guys. You know, it's just a little quiet today. Just, you know, simple. Yeah, it's me too. Yeah, that's great. But we let our circumstances dictate our proximity to Jesus. Because what we do is we kind of blame him for what's going on in our life. When we're stressed. And I know, you know what, you know what I'm saying? When you're stressed about the bills and, and you got to pay them. So when you get to prayer and all you're thinking about is the bills you got to pay. What is your circumstance in your life and how does it affect your, your relationship with Jesus? Or maybe your hindrance is your ego. I know that's nobody in this church. I know, guys. Come on. <laughs> this is the most humble church I've ever been a part of. It's great. Is it your ego? You know what God does? And it's, it's I will not, it's, it's a little frustrating. It's, he, will, he will specifically ask you to do things that destroy your ego. That's frustrating. You know, like when you're, when you're cool, like just sitting in your seat and you've got your worship stance and you look good for the pictures. You know what I'm saying? And you're there and you're just like, yeah, this is good. You got your little face, your worship face. 
And then he says, go to the altar, get on, get on your face. Oh, God, I'm good right here. And what we do, listen, what we do is we excuse it. We excuse it. We say, no, 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 it's, no, no, it's, just, it's just my emotion, God. I don't want to be emotional, Lord. <laughs> we get back to the stance. I wonder, I wonder how many moments you've missed with the Lord because of your ego. Oh, now we're talking. Let's go. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. We're done. I wonder how many opportunities we've missed with the Lord because of our ego. Get on your face. But God, can I tell you, let me tell you this right now. Nobody's watching you. Okay, let me just make that very clear. Nobody's looking at you. Isn't it funny how everybody in the church thinks that everybody's looking at them? <laughs> we don't care. We're looking at him. We're looking at him. And so listen, when, when, when those opportunities come, and he says, son, put your ego down. Sometimes it looks like worship. Sometimes it looks like apologies. That's probably worse, right? Sometimes it looks like conversations that need to be had. Sometimes it looks like obedience. Sometimes it looks like saying, okay, I may feel this way, but I know what God is saying to me. You know, it's funny because we talk about discipleship and, oh, I want to be discipled, but then correction comes and all of a sudden that goes out the door. Because who? No, 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 no. Jesus, Jesus disciples me. Anybody got a Bible? Let's try to find that in Scripture where you don't need discipleship. But it's ego. It's ego. It's ego that will get us to stop being obedient and submissive to authority that's trying to help us because our ego says that we've got it all together. You understand what I'm saying this morning? I've had many times when my pastors told me to do things or he did things that I did not like. And I have a great relation with my pastor. I love him to death. I hope he, come, he might be, be coming to preach in a, in a couple of months, hopefully. You know, let's just pray and fast that it'll happen. He'll come. But he did something one time, and I was like, I was mad. You know, I was, I was younger. I'm still very young. I was younger. I think I was early 20s or whatever. And I sat in his office. I'm like, why'd you do this? Like, what? I don't like this choice. And he gave me the pastor answer. You got to trust me. And I was like, okay, but why? <laughs> but you have to let your ego down. To say, okay, I'm going to do what God is asking me to do, even when it's uncomfortable, even when I don't like it, even when it doesn't make sense, even if it makes me look foolish, because I'm desperate to be with him. I'm desperate to be with him. So we put our ego down. We do whatever it takes to get into the presence of the Lord. Because I don't want anything to hinder my relationship with Jesus. I don't want anything to hinder my relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to treat my wife with honor, not just because I love her, but because I love him. So I'm going to honor the church, and I'm going to honor people, and I'm going to love people, not just because I love and honor people, but because I love him. And I don't want to do anything that doesn't please him because I love him, and I want to be with him. Because I've come to this place where I really want Jesus 
for Jesus, for who he is, not just what he does. Jesus for Jesus. I'm ending, so Jay, if you want to come up, or Jessica is not in the room. My wife is busy. Luke 5.20 says this. <laughs> now, now, before I read this, let's, let's, get, let, let's think about this story. These men have carried this guy on a bed, right? Who knows for how long? They get to this place with Jesus, and it's said in the scripture that his presence was basically the power, his power was present to heal. Don't put it up yet. Take it down, please. Don't look, don't look, look at my hands. Don't read it. Don't read it. No, 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 no. Take it down quickly, quickly. Oh my God, you're fired. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> They're like, I volunteer. I'm just kidding. I guess we'll just leave it up there. Just don't read it, okay? It doesn't matter. They take this man to Jesus. They, they put a hole in this guy's ceiling. <laughs> I still can't get over that. Like, dang, really? Like, we could have just moved out of the way, man. You have to put a hole in the... They get to the presence of the Lord, right? They're seeing all these miracles happen. This guy's like, I'm finally here, right? I'm, <laughs> I made it to Jesus. I'm, I'm ready for my miracle. <laughs> and then Jesus said to him, he saw their faith. He saw everything they did. And he said, man, you're forgiven. If I'm paralyzed and I'm standing before the Lord that can heal me, and he doesn't mention anything about my sickness, but he says, you're forgiven. I'm a little confused, possibly a little upset. Because I could imagine, now this is my outtake on it. This is not like verbatim for the scripture, but I, I could give an opinion on what I would feel. Like, great, but I, I really wasn't coming here to be forgiven. I was actually coming here because, as you can see, I'm in a bed, and I can't move. So, I, Jesus, I appreciate what you did, but that's not really why I'm here. Do you love Jesus for what he can do or who he is? This man was not healed in that moment. The caution, can I tell you this? The caution with a spirit-led churches, which is what we are. I believe in signs, wonders, and miracles. I believe in one because we've seen it. And I know we'll see greater things. But the, let me caution you with this church. Let me, let, me, let me teach you this real fast. That if you're only coming into his presence to get the miracle, then you've missed the point. A spirit-led culture, if we're not careful, we will begin to seek the miracles over the one who does them. And we'll flock to any place that has miracles, whether he's there or not. If we're not careful. A spirit-led culture, if we're not careful, we can begin to treat his presence like an item. And not like a person. Is this making sense this morning? In the book of Acts, chapter 8, through, chapter eight verse 14 through 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this individual sees, um, excuse me, just Peter and John. He sees Peter and John doing miracles, laying hands, and he's watching the Holy Spirit fall. And he goes up to, he goes up to them and he says, hey, can I buy the Holy Spirit? Yeah. 
Or can I manipulate this move of God? I see what you're doing. Can you give me steps one, two, and three to do the same? How do I buy the program that will teach me? How do I buy the spirit so that I can carry him with me? We treat the Holy Spirit like an item. And Peter rebukes him. He's like, man, I hope God will forgive you. You better go repent just in case. Because you can't buy the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is not an item. His presence is not something that we come just so that we can dip our feet into the water and walk out with a miracle. His presence is not just something that happens so that we can get something. Yes, he's a God that gives good gifts, but what if he didn't give you what you wanted? What if, what if you were that man on the bed and you're like, I need a healing, and he said, you're forgiven. What do you do? This is how you know you love him. Are you ready? How do you treat him when he doesn't give you what you want? I think this is good. I think I'm, I'm like, I feel my, the conviction of the spirit in my heart. How do you treat him when he doesn't give you what you want? How do you treat him when the bank account is still empty? How do you treat him when you're still arguing with your spouse? How do you treat him when, you're, when your kids are still acting crazy? How do you treat him when he doesn't give you what you wanted? Most of the time, now I'm not saying we give up on church. Most of the time we give up on him. And our bodies will still attend church, but our hearts have given up on him because his answer was not what we wanted. In the book of John, chapter 6, I'll read verse, let me see. I don't want to read this whole thing. Let's re read verse 6, verse, chapter 6, verse 60. It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, Jesus was giving a very, very, very hard teaching. It says he had just done all these miracles. And now he's standing before a bunch of people, crowds of people. And he's preaching a hard message. And this was their response. It says, this is a hard or a harsh saying. Who can understand it? And Jesus combats them and he responds to them. And it says this in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So they're standing before Jesus. He's preaching this message. And they're saying, no, 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 this is too difficult for us. This is too hard for us. And he goes, and if you keep reading, he actually begins to preach even harder. And he's like, oh, you think that's bad? Listen to this. And he preaches this harsh, mes harsh message. And it says that many turn away. Because Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. They were looking for an earthly king. And then, then he speaks to the disciples. Verse 67, and Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. When I was 18 years old, 
Remember how I always tell you that I can never like pinpoint a day of my salvation? Like I just kind of started walking with the Lord. But this, this day, I, I remember it like it's ingrained into my head and my heart. I was 18 years old. I was a very irresponsible 18-year-old, like really bad. Like I, I remember I, I wanted, do, you, do we have Carl's Jr. in Texas? Yeah? Tell me where. I need some. <laughs> but <laughs> I remember we went to, to I, I couldn't afford, like I couldn't aff- I would go into overdraft just to eat Carl's Jr. <laughs> I should have just ate at home. I should have listened to my mom. There's food at home. But I remember, like, I owed, I owed the bank a bunch of money. I had this old 1992. Remember my blue, my blue Honda Civic? I called it Betsy. And I remember I had this 1992 Honda Civic that I got for $900. Two-tone, right? Rusted, hole in the, in the shotgun seat. I, I literally bought Bluetooth speakers to, like, pin into my, my seats because I didn't have a system. <laughs> And I had this car, and I owed all this money. I, I, I think at that time, like, I was failing school. I was, like, dropped, I was pretty much dropped out of high school. I didn't have a job. Like, I didn't, I didn't have anything. And I remember I felt like such a loser. Like, I was just like, man, this sucks. And then my car breaks down. The, um, something with the, the head gas it ex- exploded, I guess. I don't know what happened. I'm not a mechanic. And I'm sitting in my car. And I can't, even, I can't even afford a tow truck. So my dad has to strap my Honda Civic to the back of our Suburban on the little hatch, the little latch thing, whatever it is. My car won't turn on, and I'm literally sitting in a driver's seat, being dragged by a Suburban, debt, no job, no school. I feel terrible. I can't afford to fix the car. I can't afford to pay. I, can't, I couldn't do anything. I'm sitting in my car being dragged from, for like 30 minutes. And I was so mad. And I was praying. I said, Lord, could you get me out of this? Like, could you help me? And you know what his response was to me? He said, Mike, and I remember this clear as day. If I never got you out of this, would you still serve me? And I rebuked it because I thought it was the devil. And he said, if I never gave you what you wanted, would you still serve me? And in that moment, I sat there and I was, I didn't answer him because I was upset. I thought he would say, yeah, I got you. <laughs> we'll take care of this. I thought I was going to find money on the ground. And I think I took a day and I went to him in prayer. I said, Lord, if you never do anything for me again in my life, If I never feel your presence ever again in my life, I will never stop serving you. That was my commitment to the Lord. Because it wasn't about what he could give me. It was about, and still is to this day, about who he is. I don't seek a sign. I don't seek a miracle. I don't seek a breakthrough. I don't seek these things, guys. I seek Jesus. Because God is still God even when I'm in the, in the middle of a broken down car with no money being dragged around town. God is still God even when I don't have what I think that I need. God is still God. So I don't seek these things. I seek Jesus. 
I want to be the one that if everybody else abandons him, he can look at me and say, are you going to leave too? And I can say, Jesus, you remember that day in the car when you asked me if I'd leave you and I said I never would? God, I still keep that commitment because I'm, yeah, yeah, I'll see miracles. I'll see breakthrough. But even if I don't, I'll see the finances come in. We'll see the church growth. But even if we don't, I'll see the breakthrough in my marriage. I'll see my kids come and one day preach the gospel. I see my son lifting his hands today. I didn't want to get a picture and embarrass him, but it's right here. And I, one day they'll, they'll, they'll be raised in Christ and begin. But even if they don't, I'll still serve him because I'm not serving him for the miracle. I'm not seeking his presence to be healed. I'm seeking him because he's him. Miracles are bet are good. Breakthrough is great. All that stuff is wonderful, but Jesus is better. And when you seek him, when you seek him for him, he gives you more than you came for. He gives you more than you came for. See, the men came for healing, but they received forgiveness. He did more than what they came for. The miracle was great, but the forgiveness was more significant because the miracle affected the temporary. That guy that was on the bed that, that, that gets healed, he eventually died. But forgiveness changes eternity. He came for something temporary and left with something eternal because when you get into the presence of God, he does more than what we came for. Luke chapter 5, and I'm, I'm, I'm ending it here. Let me see. Yes, I'm almost done. Is this challenging you this morning? Luke chapter 5, verse 20 through 26. So Jesus responds to them. He sees their faith and he says, man, man your sins are forgiven. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees begin to, begin to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered to them, Why are you reasoning within your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you. Or say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now listen. He's saying so that you can know that the God you serve can actually affect your eternity. I'm going to show you a miracle in the temporary. Right? Are we, are we following that? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things. The miracle was still great but it was secondary to forgiveness. The miracles are still great, but listen, church, listen to me. They are secondary to the relationship that you have with the Lord. I know we'll see the miracles. I know we've seen them already. 
but I never in my life, as long as this church is a church, we will never trade his presence for miracles. I will never stain my love for Jesus to seek miracles and to seek signs and wonders. They'll come because that's what happens in his presence. But they're secondary to knowing Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? They are secondary to knowing Jesus. The greatest miracle that we've ever received is salvation. That is the greatest miracle that you will ever receive in your life. But when you get him into a room, when you get into his presence, he does more than what you came for. You cannot avoid signs and miracles in the presence of God because that's what he does. You can't, you can't stop him from moving because that's what he does. He heals, he delivers, he sets free, he restores, he brings the miracle, but the miracle is not the priority. The priority is Jesus, his presence. And when he comes, everything changes. So at our church, we seek him first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else will be added unto you. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes this morning. So I want to ask you the question again. Is Jesus enough for you? Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus. You're not walking with him. You're not saved. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm not asking any of those questions. I'm asking you this very, very, very simple question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Maybe you're saying, man, I don't, I'm not really sure. This is the truth of the scripture. The Bible teaches us. That every one of us have sinned. We're all sinners. On our way, without Christ, we're on our way to hell. Whether we like that or not, that is the truth. It was Jesus who came, who gave his life, sacrificed on the cross, that we would be forgiven of sin and made right in the eyes of the Father. And what we do to receive this forgiveness is we put our faith in Jesus. We say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God that you died on the cross, and we put our faith in the resurrection of Christ. And as we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, and he begins to dwell with us. And as the Holy Spirit dwells with you, you begin to know the depths of God. The scripture says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches us the things of God. And as he teaches you, as you walk with him, that's when your life begins to change. But maybe you're here and you have not received the Holy Spirit in your life. Or you've not put your faith in Jesus. Or you're not walking with him and you don't know him. But today you're saying, man, I, wanna, I want that. I need to give my life to the Lord. If that's you, could you raise your hand? Really, really easy. Just raise your hand. Put it in the air. I see that hand right there on the side. Anybody else? Come on, just lift your hand. You feel it in your heart, man. I need to get, I need to get right before the Lord. I've been living a life of sin. 
I've been living a life that's my own life. I'm not giving it to Jesus. If that's you, just simply raise your hand. Anybody else? I see that hand right here on the side. That's two. Anybody else? The Lord is speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's speaking to you. You feel it in your heart. I'm going to ask you one more time. You feel that small voice in your heart. It's kind of uncomfortable, but there's something comforting about it. You're wrestling within yourself. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. You know you should, but you're embarrassed. Don't let your ego stop you. I'm going to ask you one more time. You want to give your life to Jesus today. If you haven't yet, raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to pray. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. We have two that raised their hand. You guys raised your hand right here on the side. Ma'am, should you raise your hand? Could I pray with you? Could you come up? Sir, right here on the side in the green blue shirt, could you come pray? Come stand right here. Can we give them a hand? This is great. <laughs> Natalie, would you come? Tom? Why don't we stand to our feet as we pray together? That's what we're going to do. We're, I'm going to say a prayer, but listen, I need you both to understand this, that the prayer does not save you, okay? I, as a pastor, cannot save any, any person whatsoever. What's going to happen today, man, there it is, there's God moving. What's going to happen today is you're going to say this prayer and put your faith in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will come inside. He's going to come into you. And he's going to begin to change the way you think, the way you talk. He's going to begin to show you. You're going to want to do things and he's going to tell you, no, 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 no. You'll feel it in your heart. That's walking with the Lord. And today, the very worst things that you've ever done, the very, very worst of the worst that no, people probably don't even know about, all that's clean and washed. And you're not just refurbished. The scripture teaches that those who are in Christ are a brand new creation. That today you're going to be a new person. So let's pray. Church, can we repeat this together so they're not doing this alone? And I'm going to pray this. Close your eyes, bow your head. Say, dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Today, I put my faith in Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross. You rose again for my sins. Holy Spirit, would you help me to live for Jesus? Would you fill me? Change me? Change the way I think? Change the way I talk? Change the way that I live? Today, my life, everything belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stretch your hands forward? We're going to pray. So, Father, I pray.